welcome to Soundtrack Showdown, our monthly podcast where we take two soundtracks, compare them across five rounds and declare an overall winner. Tristan Kane, and with me, as always, is Ella Kova. Hey. Now, I'm, I'm just. Sometimes we get to this a little bit late, so I'm just. Let, let's let's put this right off off the top. We are going to be talking about two films today. We're going to be talking about The Great Escape from 1963, and we're going to be talking about last year, so 2019's Godzilla: King of the Monsters. That's what we're talking about, and we are going to be filling this with spoilers. Spoiler warning. Spoiler warning. Just off the start, spoilers, start to finish. So if you haven't seen the films, which in the case of Godzilla, I guess you've got an excuse because it's pretty recent, but that bears a little bit thin on uh, the, what, 50-year-old Great Escape. Go off, have a watch. It'll probably make more sense later on. Although I've been told, Ella, that actually people find that they don't need to watch the films. I think we describe them well enough. Oh, really? I'm so pleased to hear that. I know, right? So if that's one of you, if that's you, great. Carry on. But, you know, don't complain if we ruin the movie for you. But otherwise, enjoy the ride of listening to us dissect these musical, well, not musicals, but music from the films. Absolutely. And we've already hinted to them. Let's talk about the film. So Great Escape versus Godzilla King of the Monsters. Now, they might not immediately spring to mind as obvious comparisons. I mean, when you first told me, I was just kind of like, what is the connection there? They're completely random films, completely different in terms of storyline and stuff. So I was really intrigued to find out, like, Tristan, what have you got planned? Exactly right, because one's like a a pretty classic kind of a war movie from the 60s, and the other is like a, a modern monster movie. And, like, we could have done two movies from the same genre and we could have done two movies from the same time in fact i'm sure there probably was a godzilla movie if not in 63 certainly very close but the link between these two that i find really interesting is actually not so much the films but the composers so the composer for the great escape is elmer bernstein one of the the great famous american film composers certainly in that pantheon of maybe one of the top five composers also did movies like magnificent seven exactly cape fear Mm -hmm. and what ghostbusters he did ghostbusters he did yep he did ghost he also did you know this he did the uh non-pop music in michael jackson's thriller the what you know, so you know uh, Michael Jackson's Thriller, the song yeah. where he's like being a werewolf and all of those things. Yeah. So the actual clip to that is like super long. I I actually think it might be almost seventeen minutes long. Like it is, it's a small film in its own right. And in the middle of that film, there's obviously the actual Michael Jackson song, and that's all Michael Jackson. But around that, there's like this whole like sort of movie where he's he goes oh to the do you mean like right at the stuff. beginning do you yeah. mean right at the beginning where it's all very like horror like before he turns into the werewolf spoiler yeah. alert um yeah. oh okay yeah no i understand that yeah that's well obviously i, I it would have not been michael jackson scoring that it yeah. would have been probably more of a traditional yeah. com- film composer okay that and makes it was sense. elmer bernstein oh that's cool 
Yeah. That's creepy, actually, I remember. Yeah, so, so that's Elmer. And Godzilla is written by one of the real sort of rising newbies. stars, the newbies, Bear McCreary. And the reason why that is interesting is that Bear McCreary actually was basically an apprentice to Elmer Bernstein when he first came into the industry. So when McCreary was young, he had a, an opportunity to meet with, with Bernstein and Bernstein sort of took a shine to him. And then when Bear later on went down to LA to study music, he wound up just sort of working with and alongside Elmer quite a lot and basically sort of learned at his feet how to deal with directors and score a film and, and do all of those sorts of things. Down to the point that at one point, apparently, Bear had the job of basically going through all of Elmer's archives because Elmer just had this huge, like, you know, as you could probably imagine, cupboard full of stuff. And so Bear was going through it and he found, like, an original handwritten score sketch to The Great Escape. And Elmer was like, yeah, whatever, like, put into the trash pile. And, and Bear was like, no, you can't, you can't throw this out. So, so Bear wound up with it. And Bear now actually has this handwritten score to The Great Escape on his living room wall. Wow, fantastic. Yeah. I mean, what an amazing opportunity to exactly. be able to, to be taught by one of the greats. I mean, there's a bit of pressure, though, because to deliver if you've mm -hmm. been taught by a great composer, you know? Absolutely, which... I mean, and this is another interesting thing that will probably come up as, as we go along. Elmer Bernstein also had to deal with, because when Elmer was first studying music, he worked as like a, an apprentice or sort of studied from Aaron Copeland. Mm. So anyway, that is that is why we are doing it, is to talk about these two composers and maybe to see if we can get an idea of maybe somewhere where Bear has picked up an influence from, from Elmer Bernstein. And the reason why we've gone with Godzilla, it was a tough call as to which Bear McCreary film to do. It, I would have loved if Bear McCreary had done a big war movie so we could actually sort of like more directly compare the two. But in the absence of that, I've gone with Godzilla partly because it's his most recent and he's young and he needs time to develop, whereas um, Great Escape is certainly one of Elmer Bernstein's sort of big hits, as it were. But also like that sci-fi fan type film that is bear mccreary's wheelhouse that is what he is best at so i figured let's let's play strength versus strength and, and that has led us to godzilla so that's enough about the contenders specifically let's talk about the let's talk about them as actual films uh, so am I right in thinking you hadn't seen either of these movies before we started? <laughs> no, I haven't until last week, uh, specifically for this podcast. Yeah, no, with The Great Escape, to be truly honest, I was a little bit worried thinking, oh, God. And it's because it, I do like old films, but sometimes you kind of have to be for, of a generation to appreciate certain storylines. So I was a little bit worried thinking, oh, OK, it's a film about the wartime and about these men who are trying to escape like would I really appreciate it but I was actually pleasantly surprised because there was a a real sort of story in terms of the relationship between the men um mm -hmm. on top of them trying to escape um so I enjoyed that the music I mean it's weird <laughs> I only have the association um of the theme from the Simpsons you know, okay. there's an episode in The Simpsons when Maggie is kind of, she's put into this daycare and, you know, she's... Oh, yeah, yeah. And she I does, remember the one. Yeah, she doesn't like, and she's basically trying to escape with all the other babies. It's basically 
that's the association I had for all these years. So I was, it's weird. I was almost thinking that I'm um, like, am I going to find it quite comical in some ways, mm-hmm. this film? Um, but no, it's, it's a, it is a masterpiece actually. Um, yeah. So I would highly recommend for those who haven't seen it to actually set aside a good three hours, a good evening or an afternoon to, you know, watch the film. With Godzilla, again, I it's funny, after watching Godzilla, the remake, uh, I felt like, oh, I really actually want to watch the original Japanese films. Interesting. So you're not, so I mean, because you, you obviously you're quite into many things Japanese, but Godzilla has not been one of the things that you have I'm binged more on. In, I was more into Japanese anime, not so much sure. the film. I mean, the film's more like 90s, from 1990s onwards. And okay. but anything before that in the 1960s, I it, I haven't really observed or touched upon. So okay. this kind of triggered a sort of desire to explore more, and um, just to kind of maybe watch the originals and kind of because there is a sort of chronological storyline to it because Godzilla, the King of Monsters, is because there's a character there's characters who have been right from the beginning and yeah. and so it's kind of like the fault like the continuation of the that the journey of Godzilla yeah this one in particular was quite big on bringing back well-known characters from the Japanese movies the um Mothra and but even the human characters as well because the doctor is actually oh yeah yeah true because he had in the original story uh, uh, he had his own storyline whereby uh, Godzilla killed his family and then so obviously in this story in this film his arc is to save Godzilla or something like that but Mm -hmm. we'll touch upon that in one of the rounds but yeah no I enjoyed it I actually really enjoyed the film to be honest really okay I did in a weird way I was I was unsure as to whether or not you would like it so I'm oh no I like I like monster films and like action films and stuff so I mean it was actually no I really enjoyed it it was uh intense the only negative I would say, but this is kind of more towards the visuals, is the fact that I felt at times it was too dark, so I couldn't really appreciate <laughs> and see what's going on when the monsters were yep. fighting. I just felt that, that is a well-trodden criticism of this movie. Actually, a lot of people complain it's so dark. Yeah, I was just kind of like, oh, uh, brighten it up a little bit, please. How about you? What did you think of the Great Escape? Yeah, look, I, I had seen it, but a long time ago now, so I like I knew the gist of what happens, but like the specifics I can't remember I certainly did not remember how awful James Coburn's Australian accent is oh my god that is true <laughs> that is I didn't even notice despicable it is it's so bad that you don't even realize he's trying to put it on unless you kind of pay attention to it mm. um, it mentioned early on that he was Australian like he mentioned or one of the characters mentioned and it's really really stuck out from then on um, I assume he's meant to be... So The Great Escape is based on a book by someone who was actually in the camp that yeah. they all did this massive escape from, and the book is written by an Australian. So I'm guessing he's meant to be that guy or some composite that includes that guy. Yeah. But, oh, my goodness, it's awful. But anyway, I'm moving on from that. Um, no, it is a good film. It's one of those really timeless films, I think, in that the the general concept and setup of it is so well-achieved that it 
doesn't even really matter what it's about. The, just the film itself, the way it is shot, the way it is paced, the way that everything happens, the film itself works on such a level that I think in 100 years people will still be watching it and being like, you know what, this is a decent movie to watch. They'll, they'll have that same reaction that you had of like, yeah, I didn't think I'd get it, but like, no, it's, it's good fun. I, I think there's yeah, a Yeah, because very... there's so many layers to yeah. it, that's why. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's just a very small list of films that are that are like that. That they're just they're kind of almost perfect in their own in their own little way. Uh, and just as a, as a very quick aside, one of the things that is very cool about it is because it was made only like 15, 16 years after the war. Like about half the cast had actually served in the war in Europe. Um, Elmer Bernstein himself actually was in the Air Force in World War II. Um, he was actually a composer in the Air Force writing music for broadcasts and things like that. So there was a lot of, like, real uh, connection between everyone involved in the film and the film. And the, most remarkably, I watched a little making of of it the other day, the, they had a consultant on it because they went to talk to the author like oh you should come over and help us set up the set and stuff and he was ill and he couldn't do it but he said oh you should but you should talk to this guy this canadian guy called floody i think um he was the guy who actually dug the tunnels so he was the guy who's played by charles bronson in the movie oh danny oh and so he, because he had built all these tunnels and had done all the planning of it he he had a perfect memory of where everything in the camp was and, and oh, exactly wow. what the tunnels looked like, etc. because he was the dude and he'd had to draw the plans and everything. So he knew everything yeah, yeah, about yeah. it. He was like the tunnel king. Yeah, he was the tunnel king. And so like the tunnels, literally they would build the set of the tunnel and then he would like crawl in it and he'd be like, no, it's it's too wide because my, my shoulders should be grating and I haven't lost, I haven't gained that much weight. So it should be, it should be tighter. Uh, and so he got it. So it was exactly the way that he remembered it to the point that, um, right at the end, he was like, I know that you've got this really right because I'm starting to get nightmares. Oh, no. Oh, well, I mean, oh, no. Oh, so oh great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So apparently so much of that is very, very true. Detailed and true true to detail. Yeah. So wow. that's that's just a very impressive thing. And it's something that we kind of, I, I know, like on one level, like... But you have to appreciate it. Yeah, you, you, know, you appreciate it's, it. It is one of those films that you have to watch before you die, but also kind of... Um, it's it's almost like a sacred film that you have to preserve. Yeah, you know it really is. And then moving on to King of the Monsters. So, I mean, on one level, it is everything I don't like about films now. Like it's an attempt to create like this massive monster verse trilogy thing to be like a rival to Marvel because they're trying to like set up Godzilla versus Kong, which is coming this year. It's a whole franchise mentality. It, exactly. Basically. It's just we just want to set up a franchise. You know, they had that Brian Cranston movie in 2014 and they had this one last year and then there's the Godzilla versus Kong this year, which connects to the Kong Skull Island. Like it's that whole thing and I'm just like, oh like please When not. is it going to stop? I know, just I mean I think one of its strengths definitely is that they have made an effort to really tie it back to the the original it's Japanese original. films. We'll talk about yeah. that in the music, but also definitely, like, as you say, the use of the original characters, uh, bringing back of, of very particular iconic Japanese um, uh, monsters to bring in and all that sort of stuff. So I think that there's a faithfulness there, which is which is good. Yeah. No, I get that. So, our rounds for this month are going to be round one, main theme, round two, suspense, round three, action, 
round four, sadness and loss, and then round five, legacy. Awesome. Let's get on with it. Round one, main theme. Let's just jump right into it. This is the music that you had in your head the moment that you saw the title of this show, the main title to The Great Escape. Yeah, it's iconic. It's simple. It's all at the beginning. It's pretty optimistic when it gets okay. So I say it's optimistic because obviously there's different sections to it. Um, yeah. The one that everyone is very familiar with is the the one that everybody can whistle to. Um, yeah. What I like about it is there's a sort of a orderly rhythm to it that kind of mm-hmm. exudes the sense of organization, like a methodical movement. You know. And you know when Bartlett tells the inmates that each person is, is w- what they are responsible for, like mm-hmm. um, what they must do and how they must, how the escape plan is going to be done. And when somebody is a good leader and you feel like you have a purpose and you know what your role is, like everything kind of falls into place, which makes it like yeah. the whole sort of organization or the whole system light. And I think the music kind of captures that because it feels so collected and orderly. And well, that's for me. And I feel that it represents, that's, I feel, I think that kind of represents the main focus of the film. Um, even to the way they to the way that it orchestrates the disposal of the dirt, you know, the creation of the tunnels, it's all very methodical and engineered. Um, <laughs> I also like how at different parts of the film, like the theme, the do-do-do-do-do-do-do, is used as, like, it's the, some of the pacing is either slowed down or speeded up, and it's used for either, like, a comic, comedic purpose, or maybe more mm. triumphant, or even more, like, sort of emotional, reflective sort of mood. Mm. So, yeah, I, I I think it's great. It really is. I mean, it's, it's one of those themes that, it's had such a life beyond and outside of the film. I mean, I sat down, put the movie on, and you hear it right away. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm ready for it yet. But what's <laughs> you know, the, like, well, one thing I'll say, sorry to interrupt, but you yeah. get, you don't, okay, the music, because it's so light, you don't think that it's going to be what, that it's then going to be uh, set in, in Nazi prison camp. Exactly, exactly. That was one of my first thoughts of like, A, it's really memorable, but B, like, this doesn't feel like it's the right music for this moment where they're all being taken to a prison camp by the Nazis. Exactly. Like, it feels too optimistic 
right off the start there and it was only really as the film moved on that I began to kind of appreciate what it's doing in that the film is all about these like this alternation between light and dark Mm. in particular and I guess this is the bit that probably really felt home for people who'd been in the war and stuff like that of the optimism and cheerfulness that the soldiers kind of put on as their like public persona where they're all joking around being silly um making plans and all of that stuff and then every time in the movie you get one of them on their own so everyone else leaves the room and they're and they're just by themselves particularly like Blythe and um Hiltz and stuff that's when they're allowed to show how they actually feel and the weight of the situation is actually there mm-hmm. so you it, it shows that it's all the front this this playful laddish optimism and and that is actually very effective that yeah this is them all arriving and they're all being like hey you know gung-ho you know boys own adventure yeah and it's almost like oh just another escape plan you know it's it, yeah. it's it was just a very weird sort of attitude to have i guess the fact that yeah. like they weren't afraid they weren't worried that they were going to be shot they were just like oh it's okay yeah so i've escaped like 17 times yeah another yeah. person tried to escape seven times it's kind of like not at any point did they fear, fear their death yeah so exactly it was just fascinating and we would not do that now no. we would not make a movie about world war Two in this light-hearted way which, when you think about it, is kind of weird, given that this was made by people who were there. Exactly. <laughs> and they're far more comfortable with being incredibly optimistic about it than we ever would be now. So that, that was just fascinating in itself. I mean, to talk about the actual piece of music itself just briefly, because I feel like that's kind of what we do, it's actually running through a lot of the themes of the movie. So that whistling... that you you mentioned Mm. that's very much the prisoner theme and it goes with the prisoners there's a bit before that the there's a really dramatic sort of fanfare bit off the top that's more for the sort of the english stiff upper lipness and that's when that comes back and then later on when it gets a bit more brassy that's the stuff for uh, Captain Hiltz or Steve McQueen and is like his theme whenever he's doing stuff. So it does actually introduce these sort of motifs Mm -hmm. that go with them all. And it is interesting in particular that the the prisoner theme is done in that sort of whistling woodwinds style rather than it's not it's not heroic. It's just playful. And as you say, it does come back later on in many different forms, including, you know, in brass when they're being heroic. And then other times, yeah, it's done in a sort of almost sinister or sad, mournful kind of a way when, when things do go wrong. I just, I like that that sort of interpretation and use of it yeah. to kind of connect with different moments of the film and the situation, you know. Yeah, you can, you can definitely track the feeling of the characters based on how that theme has sounded the last time you heard it. And you probably hear it about every five minutes. Shall we move on to Godzilla, King of the Monsters? And here is the main title.
I'm just going to say these three words. Okay. Epic. Yep. Dramatic. Mm-hmm. And our favorite new word from one of our previous episodes. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> colossal. Colossal. <laughs> you could have also gone with bombastic there. Yeah, it didn't. Colossal no, I think, is no, Colossal was a better one. No, Colossal was much better. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, what more could you say? Aside from the fact that the, this version is, is like the faster version of the original theme mm. and to the Japanese film. Shall we play the original theme? Because it is actually quite remarkable how close it is yeah. to the original theme. So, so here it is now from uh, Godzilla, 1954. I'm amazed at how little he actually adds. All he really does, and like, I'm, that's no criticism to bear at all. He basically he's just taken it and he's he's juiced it up a bit, and made it made it modern. Yeah, I think, and just decorated it more. Yeah, that's what I kind of wrote in my notes. It just sounds a little bit more decorated than the original. I mean, it's still dark and it builds like the coming of something that's threatening mm-hmm. but not in a horror movie style like no. it's more of like a territorial vibe you know kind of mm-hmm. like that sort of animalistic vibe and you know i do like the japanese choir singing it is interesting that he as an american has come in and he has actually added japanese elements to it because the the original theme is really not very japanese at all it's very western um mm-hmm. it's in fact it has a lot of stravinsky and stuff to it but he's come through and he's added taikos, he's added Japanese vocals, which on one hand I'm like... Would you say it's cultural appreciation? I, I think that is the place it comes from. I, I think it is coming from a place of cultural appreciation. And I think, I mean, and it, at the end of the day, it works. It, it really does. And I do like, the, I love the fact that Bear has introduced these Japanese elements, but he's always gotten Japanese people to do it. So he's yeah. always allowed them to bring their sensitivity to it. So he gets this taiko group to obviously play the drums and do the vocals. There are other sections we'll talk about later on where he's he gets actual like actual Japanese Buddhist monks to do chants. Like he he he's very aware of the fact that, you know, it's it's their culture and they should be the ones to bring it to him rather than the other way around. Yeah. It's his sensitive I guess in the same way how Ludwig did with Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Very similar. Okay. What did you think? Your three words are, are, are right. And I think the the biggest thing to say about it is it is incredible at conveying size. That like that that is its towering <laughs> achievement is that it it really manages to convey just how big Godzilla is and it really adds a sense of scale mm-hmm. to everything. And that's very, very impressive. But now we have to come to actually picking our winner from the two. And I do suspect uh, it might be up against one of the great main themes of all time. Yeah. I think even Bear McCreary would probably choose. I think he would just be like, 
guys, if you're going to go for me, you're nuts. Yeah, yeah, fair play, fair play. <laughs> so I'm just going to put that down as two votes for the main theme for The Great Escape. Naturally. <laughs> All right, moving right along. <laughs> to round two, uh, Suspense. So as you can probably tell, we're sort of, um, because these films are so different, we're going to just work in like kind of broad styles of music because that seems like the only way to really compare them. And for The Great Escape, there's actually quite a lot of suspense music in this film. The one that we're going to be talking about is music that plays through the sort of extended escape sequence when they're outside of the camp and they're sort of trying to make their way through Germany. And it's called On the Road. It's a very sort of ominous and tense track, but I, I do like how it manages to find ways to blend in the various motifs and themes. So you get the prisoner's theme, and I think trumpet and woodwind. You get a bit of Hiltz's theme, the Cooler King's theme come through. It's, I, I, I quite like it. What do you think? Yeah, I always like I always like this when it came on. You know, particularly when the camera was hovering over the Nazis. Um, at the beginning of the film you know it's mm -hmm. very sinister um because you know it kind of represents the threat that they are a threat and that they are not on your side and that they should be feared and stuff and i i do enjoy the sort of the changeover to how it slightly is more inquisitive mm -hmm. afterwards and you know it's it's very hollywood sound and kind of like the trills just before one minute and 40 seconds is typical horror and suspense trope yeah. of that time, I think. Um, another thing is that when I first heard it, it reminded me a lot of Predator. Have you seen? Yeah. Here's the moment, like the suspense moments from the Predator. Okay. Um, the one with Arnold Schwarzenegger.
yeah so they just kind of reminded me of that i guess it kind of has that sort of similar sort of tension building and kind of the sort of unnerve something unnerving yeah for this film i think it needs that to kind of remind you that on top of it being quite playful and kind of a little bit optimistic you know when there's a interaction between the prisoners at the end of the day this is still kind of of bringing you back down to earth that you know that this is still a place of danger that any minute now any minute they could get killed um even though they are a little bit friendly with the guards it's like they're not your friends Mm -hmm. you know they are the enemy and that you need to be careful and i think that sound kind of does make you kind of feel like hey you need to be on your guard i guess yeah more um yeah i think it's good yeah i mean yeah i I completely agree it's actually it's an interesting track to listen to in terms of being sort of a microcosm of the film in a way in that like the way that it uh, shifts between moods and themes and stuff and that one moment it's being playful the next moment it's being tense the next moment it's being sad or all of that stuff that that is what the film does and it is what the music does as well and i think one of the things that's uh, probably most effective about this as a piece of music is how it manages to r- remain cohesive and logical despite what actually quite wildly changing in in music and style uh, along the way so for Godzilla, we're going to be... There was a, f- a few choices for suspense music in Godzilla, but we are going to go with a track called The Hollow Earth, which plays as they discover that Godzilla has sort of gone to hiding underwater in this, like, Atlantis-ish city that used to, to worship him to recharge. So here it is, The Hollow Earth. To me, the, the first thing that strikes me about this is that it sounds quite a lot like Howard Shaw. It's, it reminds me quite a lot of some of the... Lord like, of the Rings? Yeah, some of the Minds of Moria type music in Lord of the Rings. That's sort of the haunting vocals and the strings. and uh, That's exactly use... what I was thinking. Oh, ah, my God. Excellent. Honestly. For me, in terms of suspense, it kind of went over my head. Like, I didn't particularly feel there was an element of suspense. I'm just trying to think, where did I feel an element of a suspense maybe more? I think maybe more so when um, they were... The introduction of... 
how do you spell it? How do you say that? The, the three-headed monster's uh, name? Ghidorah? Ghidorah, that's it. Giddy. I'm going to yeah. call him Giddy. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when, you, um, when you get Giddy's first intro, when he, it's, uh, it's in the ice, you yeah. know, and you're just trying to work out the shape of it. I think there was, that was a moment where I felt a little bit of suspense because I was just like, ooh, what is that? I think yeah. the Hollow Earth was kind of like a journey type music you know you just exploration explorative type music yeah you know? there's a lot of mystery to it for yeah. sure i think that's what i would say was more mystery as opposed to suspense maybe yeah um yeah. i mean as a film that's possibly one of its structural weaknesses in that there isn't a lot of suspense in it like it's not it's, it's not very well established suspense because i guess they need know. to cram in so much action between these monsters. I think that's that's probably why. Yeah, you know? and you know that these monsters are going to wind up fighting each other. Yeah, so, so you just have to try and kind of quicken it up and get to to get to that stage. Yeah. In terms of suspense, I think for me personally, I would probably go for more for the Great Escape. Okay. Um, because I did, I kind of base it on of my initial emotional reaction to it. Yeah. And when, as I said, so when I heard that, I instantly felt like the hair sticking up in my, uh, you know, stick the hair sticking up. So, you know, okay, more so than the Godzilla one. I felt like because it was a little bit too generic, maybe for me, right, it didn't enough. stand out as much for me. Fair enough. You? Um, it's tight. I think I might actually go with Godzilla on this one. Ooh, a disagreement. Yeah, it's like it's not a strong disagreement. I think we're both acknowledging that both tracks are fairly good. I think this was one of the first moments in the film that picked up kind of like the subtlety of some of the music. I think there was one of the ones that really kind of came through. It, I mean, it's very classic sci-fi. That mystery and awe type sound is basically ubiquitous in sci-fi. And I think it's a, it's a very good version of it. And the, the twists of adding in the chanting and the vocals. Yeah, I, I dig it. I like it. Shall we move on to round three? Action. We'll start with The Great Escape, as per usual. Uh, this is the track that plays as squadron leader Bartlett, played by Richard Attenborough, and uh, I can't remember, flight captain or whatever, McDonald, uh, ru running away from the Gestapo after uh, McDonald accidentally uh, speaks a little bit of English and gives the game away. And the track is called The Road's End. Well, for me, um, it was quite an unusual action music. 
Okay. Because it's quite minimalistic, because the orchestration sounds quite minimal, maybe mm. compared to nowadays, I mean. Um, Even compared to then, like compare it to like yeah. Ben-Hur or something. No, it's, it's definitely uh, stripped back. I'm just trying to think if it kind of took me out of the experience. I think as a piece of music, I kind of, I like the fact that it's quite stripped back for action music, you know, mm-hmm. it's not... You know, it kind of makes you listen to it and appreciate some of the sections a little bit more and the rhythms and kind of the melodies that come through. I just, I, I find it's unusual. And I yeah. think I kind of have, you kind of have to appreciate it for it's kind of going outside the norm slightly. I did feel like right at the end, I think near the end of the film, uh, near the end of the piece of the music, the track, um, is when Steve McQueen's character is driving on a motorcycle and jumping the track the fence and stuff yeah 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 and then he kind of it's he he kind of smashes himself into the barbed wired fence and yeah just thought he would get through it but nah yeah so um he ends up obviously having to surrender and it's just that moment of sort of oh my god is he going to get killed is he going to get shot or something Mm. um that sort of defeatist type feeling maybe this is aged a bit yeah it remind bits of it actually reminded me almost of the omen that sort of very old school hollywood tension style yeah. and then it jumps into that sort of jaggedy piano which i mean that may have actually been one of the earlier films to use it and that that sound that jagged piano that was still legit current until at least the eight late 80s mid 90s it's in die hard and it sounds normal for Die Hard, but you just don't do it anymore. I don't think many people would appreciate it no. nowadays, I think. I, I think to a certain extent it's hard for some of the other m- music in this film because the main theme is so iconic and the main theme has lasted so incredibly well and still evokes that same playful, laddish spirit of the movie. I think some of the other music, which at the time would have felt completely natural to be alongside it, the fact that it isn't as timeless and hasn't aged as well as either the main theme or, in fact, the movie around it, I think that makes it a bit more jarring because you just sort of see it. I think this music would have been quite trendy at the time and it feels trendy. It doesn't feel timeless. And I think that's what's working against it for mine. So then Godzilla? King of yes. the Monsters. King of the Monsters. And we will just go for the, uh, we'll play a snippet from the, I think, seven and a half minute uh, main battle sequence called Battle in Boston.
Okay. The Tycho drumming love. Yeah. The use of the original Mothra Godzilla theme love. Okay. <laughs> Um, transitions uh, I guess I like the transitions from it's how it goes from fast paced it's very rigor- rigorous and then to strip back um, to when it's playing Mothra's yep. uh, theme you know it's very heavenly you know how it come when she comes down from the yeah. clouds and it's very majestic and powerful and then she just kind of like smashes Giddy to the building she's like boom yep take that na 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 <laughs> <laughs> and then to go to like you're welcome yeah 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 um i like those little snippets how it kind of even though they're like 15 seconds um kind of it kind of breaks up the track and the, the action in the film you know to something a little bit more it gives you a breather i yeah. guess um yeah. but at the same time you know it's it's a piece of action music. What more could you say? Yeah. That like, it's just. I, I I doubt he does listen, but I, I really actually do hope that Bear McCreary is listening because that description you gave at the beginning of like what the music makes you feel and hear and how you react to the movie, I feel like that is exactly what he was going for. <laughs> like that, that real sense of like you, like you can just like play along at home from the music as to what's going on. I think that is. Like, that is the great thing about this as a particular piece of music is that at the end of the day, Godzilla is about seeing these massive freaking monsters fighting each other. And I think as a track, can't fault it. it. It does everything it is required to do for this scene. If there is anything that people don't like about this scene, and I think there's quite a lot in terms of visual storytelling that you could criticise in this film, but it's it's not on Bear. Bear brings it for this track, I think. Mm-hmm. Cool. Winner? I'm going to go with Godzilla. I really am. I think it's excellent. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Let's push through to round four. I shouldn't be quite so joyful. Let's push through to round four, (laughs) sadness and loss. So we'll start with The Great Escape, and the track is called Blythe. (laughs) Blythe. That, James Coburn, I know you're probably dead now, but that is how you do an Aussie accent. (laughs) For me, I it's tender mm. comes to mind. You know, it's very tender. I don't, 
I don't get a sense of sadness or necessary loss when I'm listening to it on its own. Interesting. Um, I just feel like if you don't have the context, um, if you don't... Oh, okay, if you listen, yep. Outside if, of the movie, it doesn't convey it for you. I think when I'm expecting sadness and loss, this isn't it. Okay. There's, there's not the tragedy and grief to it. Is that what you no, mean? No, I think that's what it is. I think that it's still quite, oh, boo-hoo type. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I've never laughed so much while talking about sadness and loss. Sorry, go on. <laughs> Because it's so like, and I, I understand why it's standard because it's a very an internal um, music before yeah. to represent life's his own internal emotions, um, and the fact that he doesn't want anybody else to know, and you know, there's that sort of tragedy in that sense. But I don't feel like the it, it's very it's, it's short lived for me. Yeah. Okay. I, you. I think. This is interesting because this is how this film does sadness. And I think it's a very particular type of sadness. And it's a type of sadness that is, it's very appropriate for this film and for this time. And I think would have probably rung true to, I mean, there would have been a lot of veterans watching this as a movie of a very particular type of sadness they would have felt where it's almost like they're used to grief. They're used to death. They're used to people dying that they're almost a little bit desensitized to that to a point. What really gets them, though, is the stuff that will never be the same, and so that longing. So there is a there is a quite tragic for me sense in in Blythe where it's like they can be all optimistic of you know we're going to break out of the we're going to break out of the camp, we're going to get back to England, we'll be back with our wives and girlfriends and families, or whatever, and you know life will be back to being the same again. But he's got this realization of even if I get back, I'm still going to be blind. <laughs> like that's gone. It's a permanent loss. Um, and so there, there is a, a tragedy and a mourning for the fact that life will never be the same. And this was that same thing I was saying earlier of where, when the prisoners are all together, it's all very optimistic and gung ho. And you know, we're going to do this. We're going to get out. And we're going to tie up all these resources as they try and chase us. Yeah. But in the introspective moments, you get the, the guard broken down and you sort of see the real person behind it and, and what they're really dealing with. I just wish it was explored a little bit more, though. I think yeah. Blythe's sort of narrative gets... It's not the main focus, which obviously there's so many other characters that need to be touched upon. But I think for me, when, well, when I, maybe I need to rewatch it, but I felt like it's, it's a very small snippet of it mm. gets touched upon. So let's move on to... Uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters and a track called Goodbye Old Friend.
See now, I like this. Yeah. Yeah, I find this. Uh, yeah, it's it's heartfelt and you know it has an emotional moment. So we should we should stay off the start. This is the this is sort of the the farewell farewell for Doctor Serizawa who. Yeah. Um, it's his sacrifice basically um, yeah. to revive Godzilla. Now I'm not a an expert on Godzilla movies overall. I know there's about thirty five of them. People can maybe write into us and let us know how many times Dr. Serizawa has died over the course of the Godzilla movies. I suspect it's a few times. But this is his farewell to the modern American version. And so, yeah, I just found it was fit. I think the quarrel was very fitting. You know, it makes it very more powerful. And you do get a sense of loss. Mm -hmm. I guess from the revelation of the lost ancient civilization, the fact that they used to worship Godzilla and how... Mm -hmm. You know, maybe in those times it was much more of a peaceful um, relationship. Time. Yeah, and for both species to coexist um, compared to now. I did find it sad. When I was listening to it today, I was just kind of like, I did feel quite overwhelmed with emotion. And also I think, because I did like um, the Doctor's character and his narrative, mm. I think, you know, I kind of felt attached to him. So the fact that he was doing this in order to save it's not necessarily he wasn't necessarily doing it to save the world he was doing it to save godzilla mm. and i think you know his decision to sacrifice i think is quite means a lot yeah i like that there was that sort of connection between man and beast and it's just like throughout the whole film he never saw godzilla as a threat he always saw him as like a potential to form some form of partnership you know and respect and i, I like yeah. that there's you a know? real japanese-ness about that isn't there or like a sort of shinto type thing of he sort of worships in, in a way worships godzilla as a sort of god type figure like a force of nature that is yeah neither good nor evil but must be respected and yeah honored. exactly yeah, yeah. And I just felt like, you know, just when he was saying goodbye in Japanese and it was just, but this is what I'm saying. This was really kind of like in your face, yeah. you know, you knew exactly what was going to happen. It was very external and I, it worked for me. I mean, I did it. Yeah. I mean, I got, I got a little bit teary. You got a bit teary? Okay. <laughs> uh, I take it you didn't. I don't think I ever got teary in this film. I, I, I didn't. Feel it to quite that same extent, but it's just really nice writing. It's really reflective, sort of a moment, and it—it's very funeral-like. It is, and so that's where you get the sense that there is going to be a loss. This is, yeah, yeah. And I like the way that it adds that percussion pulse into the choir to build the tension. Because on one hand, it's sort of this moment of, uh, you know, farewell to Serizawa and showing his respect for Godzilla, but he's also about to detonate a nuclear explosive. So there's also like a, a tension drama moment to it as well. And I think he manages to tread that line actually quite well um, mm-hmm. of being tension building and sad loss at the same time. So I think it's a very effective little moment. Okay. In terms of winner, I think I kind of know where you, who you're going to go for, based on your discussion. Yeah. Yeah. So you think I'm, I, I assume you think I'm going to go with the Great Escape. Are you? It's closer than you'd think. Oh. But you know what? I, I probably will. Yay! <laughs> I knew yeah, it. I knew but... it. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to go with Godzilla? Yeah. 
<laughs> Interesting. Oh, we seem to be um, disagreeing a lot more than most shows. You absolutely. Well, I mean, as we go into round five, I just want to say that we've had uh, round one where we both voted for The Great Escape, yeah. obviously. Round three where we both voted for um, Godzilla. Mm-hmm. And then we've had two split rounds. But interestingly, two split rounds where once you went with Great Escape and I went with Godzilla and once you went with Godzilla and I went with Great Escape. So as of now, it is completely tied. Wow. Oh, my goodness. So let's go into round five, Legacy, and talk about the respective legacies of a (laughs) 50-plus-year-old film (laughs) and a film from about six months ago. Wow. Yeah, this is going to be, like, really detailed. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be tough. Yeah. All right, so the legacy for The Great Escape. One thing you have to mention is that, obviously, the theme is the most popular theme for, like, in the UK, I think, for... I guess it may be maybe in other countries as well, but I know that it's it's a very well-known theme that is sung in football territories. That is uniquely England. It is yeah. it has a particular relationship to the English football team. I assume because they use it to poke fun at the Germans. Yeah. But yeah, so yes, it's a it's a big deal in England for the for the football team. Yep. Did you know that apparently, so you know when we were having the Brexit vote, so UKIP um, mm. campaigners actually use Bernstein's uh, the theme um, on their battle bus, as it's called, um, as they journeyed around Britain, uh, calling you know for them to leave the yeah. European Union. Blah, blah, blah. And apparently, the, um, obviously, the son of the composer, he absolutely was just kind of like, I, I did not approve this. There's speculation that they didn't get the rights to play it anyway, even though, even if it was 15 seconds. So, but the fact that they like terribly decided to use that. Yeah, I mean, I was so I wasn't in the UK during the campaign. I literally landed. But have you like, heard that they used that piece of I, music? I, only this week ah. did I did I read about that. Yeah. Terrible. Um, Absolutely awful. It is terrible. A- Absolutely, and I think that does probably probably quite closely relate to the the football usage. I mean, it's basically like an English hooligan lad sort of yeah, mentality mentality towards it. Right, aside from that, I mean, obviously he has already influenced a dozen or so composers that's been featured here in our podcast, yep. um, the same way that Bernard Herrmann has as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, if you, you can't discredit his legacy. No, definitely not. I mean, Bernstein himself, definitely one of the more uh, prominent um significant composers in the history of film i mean even john williams and uh jerry goldsmith are influenced by elmer bernstein elmer bernstein himself was also he was actually a teacher at usc in their composition program for a long period of time so he's got both direct and indirect like impact on just the hollywood film sound i think so i, I think this kind of three areas of legacy and I just want to separate them out. So you've got the Bernstein himself as a titan and there's no question there. I like the word titan. Yeah, good, good. And then you've got the main theme and that obviously is very influential and much used, as you say, uh, in things like uh, English football and UKIP. The Uh, Simpsons as well. And Simpsons. And uh, are you familiar with a Disney cartoon called Recess? Yeah. 
Yes. Oh my god. So oh my the, god. Main theme, <laughs> the main theme for that is the Great Escape as well, basically. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I'll, I'll just I'll just play the the clip of it now. So that is entirely the great escape, and it's it's all about sort of like capturing that spirit of, of the movie. Like it really does. It 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 just there is a sort of obviously this film was made well before we talked about memes, but there is a real meme quality of it. If you hear that music and you immediately get that, just that feeling, and, and then that sense, and that, the homage to yeah, it, yeah, the homage, and even things like um, there's a British comedy show called uh, The British Empire, which also has a its main theme sounds a hell of a lot like. Uh, the Great Escape as well. Like, it's just that that playfulness is used and reused and is very, very influential. As for the rest of the score, though... Hey, no, no, no. I, I, wait, 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 wait. What about the... No, I have to put suspense. I, I, the, the music for okay. suspense, I enjoyed. Okay. But you liked it, but do you think it was influential? Yes. I, okay. As I said, The Predator. Hello. Okay, sure. But go on, yeah. No, but you no, feel no. like the rest of but you feel like the rest of the score doesn't do its justice. So it's, um, it's that we're all basing the whole legacy on this just on the main thing as opposed to the whole overall score. I think largely yes. Okay. Um, I mean, you'd need to really go through and be like, well, you know, was this the first time we heard suspense writing like that, or had Bernard Herrmann done it before? In fact, I think even Bernstein had done it before in To Kill a Mockingbird. And so I'm, I'm not belittling that as a statement. I'm just like, you'd, you'd need to really like w- unpack it as to where did this sound come from. Whereas I think the the legacy of that main theme is loud and clear, as it were. But the, the rest is the rest is significantly less well known and well understood okay interesting and then with godzilla so godzilla is where it obviously gets tough um this film in itself has not had any time to be (laughs) appreciated (laughs) yeah or to have any influence now you have to take into account that a lot well some of the classical themes are not original i mean they're pre-existing by the composer uh, i think his name is akira ifukubi i think yeah, yes, yeah. Um, except for Giddy's theme, which was original by Bear. And, and I do Rodan's think, as well. Was it Rodan? No, I feel like Rodan was still the original. No, uh, it was the, his. The, the it was his. Japanese version. Oh. Okay. Uh, so for mine, I think we're trying to analyze the legacy of, of this film, which is six months old. Yep. I, I really have to I have to look at it in, in context of maybe it's placed within the legacy of Godzilla and... And what he's kind of doing with it, if that makes sense, is like a, ba- a backwards legacy almost. Mm-hmm. And I think that yeah, bringing the original theme backs, the original themes back in such an effective way, and very uh, respectful way is is great. That is very, it's very modern in many respects. Like everything about that is kind of what you want a composer to do now in that he has looked and observed the past he's given the fans something that they want and that they can get very excited about and he's done it in a way that doesn't feel like cultural appropriation but is in fact sensitive appreciation all all of those things are all really great i like the fact that i mean bear mccurry is definitely one of these like 
fan composers. He's a composer who is a fan of things himself and who gets that. And so he fills his um, scores with, you know, little Easter eggs to uncover. So things like using original themes and then things like having words that are translations of, of poems that people can then, you know, find out about what they really mean and they can get a whole new layer to the meaning and so like stuff that fans can really interact with. Whereas compared to, say, something like The Great Escape where it, it doesn't have anything like that. It's just, you know, the music is in the scene to uh, give you the emotions and and off you go and help tell the story. Whereas this is more about having a, a more ongoing relationship with the fan, as it were, where you've got lots of things for them to unpack. So I think it's, it's thoroughly modern in that respect. Did it invent any of those things? No, of course not. But it, it it's very much it's where soundtracks he's, are yeah now. it's an interesting angle that you're talking about because what you're saying is is that he's speaking to the new generation the millennial generation yeah in a completely different way that maybe um bernstein's music may not speak to the millennial generation yeah okay all right i mean that's a fair point so uh, sh- uh let's let's do the vote first and then we'll move on to the um, the legacy of Elmer onto onto Bear. Which, which one would you vote for for legacy? It's hard now, now that you've brought that argument in, in an interesting way. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, for me, I, I don't just appreciate the main theme from The Grey Escape. Okay. Like, or even the action music, which I know is very jarring and it's a little bit nowadays as we spoke, it's a little bit weird but yeah. and dated. But I don't know this... I, well, for me, I think I'm going to go for The Great Escape. Yeah. Just because of the power of how a, a theme yep. could really take over a film. But just how, you know, it's so simple. It's happy-go-lucky type Mm. sort of character and add it to a, 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 you know, a topic that is very... Heavy. Heavy, yeah. And I just think that bringing that lightness or bringing out the lightness of a very heavy scenario or topic, I think is commendable. Yep. I don't think we get a lot of it now. I think it's kind of like, it's very like, oh, if it's a comedy, then it's like you get comedy music. But if it's kind of like, there's no that sort of like twisting of the perspective of the listener, you know, just Mm. to make them, you know, this is going to be like a, maybe, no, I mean, I don't think so. I need to, maybe I need to go up and watch more films. (laughs) Yeah. I don't feel like there's been a film where it's a, it's a serious film, Mm. but there's a lightness of optimism and... Yeah. No, um there's a there's a word I'm trying to think of of not saviour but like the fact that it it's not the be and end all. Like there's still the hope. Hope hope that's one looking <laughs> hope <laughs> hope. That's it. That is um, that is a sad, sad sign of society right now that the word that you couldn't find was hope. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. <laughs> we live in terrible times nowadays where it is true. Like, hope is very diminished. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's why I would go for The the Grey Escape with okay. Bernstein. You? I mean, you've got to go with The Great Escape for Legacy. You just do. Even if it's just for the main theme, but then you also add on the impact of Bernstein himself mm-hmm. on others. I mean... 
at the end of the day, unfortunately, that round was kind of set up for Bernstein to win, which is, you know, great apologies to Bear, but, I mean, he of all people, the man with the Great Escape soundtrack literally handwritten on his living room wall, would, would probably respect that, which which delivers it as a win in the narrowest possible way, actually, which is a lot more narrow than I expected for The Great Escape. So congratulations, Elmer Bernstein and The Great Escape. Congratulations. But shall we move on just very quickly to what this show really was about, which was what do you think Bear has taken from Elmer? One thing that actually struck me Mm-hmm. When I was watching the film, maybe you planted the seed Uh-oh. when you t- <laughs> when you told me the relation and the connection between the two as to why we're doing these two films, very yeah. quite abstract, completely different films. Because um, when I was watching the film, I did feel the music was slightly different to your to the other action films that I've watched there was something that it at moments it did stand out like I kind of was paying attention to it okay for me but again it could be the fact because you planted the seed and you were just like oh it's um you know Bernstein taught him so I was just kind of like trying to almost like listen out to the influences maybe like does he sound a little bit different does he is he trying to do something yeah we will actually put up I'll put in the the show notes a couple of blog posts that that Bear has written um, about his times with, with Elmer, which will give you very firm ideas of where he's at, what he feels he's, he's taken from him. But just trying to sort of take what he said and then sort of apply it to what I've actually heard, particularly in these two films, I think the, the, the things that I would mainly say that he's picked up is there's definitely a love of melodies that Bear McCreary has that maybe, for example, the Hans Zimmer school of film composing doesn't really have. Bear McCreary definitely does try and keep melodies at the centre of most of his writing whenever he can. And he usually presents them actually in a very Elmer Bernstein slash uh, Jerry Goldsmith kind of a way where he'll have just the melody accompanied by percussion. So you hear that particularly in the, the main theme of The Great Escape of it's just melody and percussion underneath. There's no like huge amounts of harmony there's no counterpoint there's not john williams's like uh ear candy i i I like to call it like the the running woodwinds and stuff above it it tends to be just pretty clean okay cool anything you wanted to add or comment on there or no i think you said it all i mean like i said i was just intrigued to know what was the connection because obviously i completely came in as many other listeners um without any knowledge about their connection and about them in general yeah yeah i mean it's it's true i mean i i think i've heard of benstein um in passing and but not as much as kind of the older generation composers yeah yeah and with bear like i think this is the first time i've heard of him to be truly honest and then having looked at his um films that he did before and tv shows i was like oh okay but i i don't watch i haven't watched walking dead to be honest i mean i know it's it's a great i should actually watch it i'm surprised you haven't given your love of all things horror i yeah um, zombies is a different scenario okay yeah like i i mm, so maybe i can give it a go i just need to really kind of engage and invest in it fair enough um so having to read about bear was quite a good introduction so he has an amazing blog he doesn't update it as well now as he used to 
but he has an amazing blog, which for anyone out there who really wants to, who, who sort of loves the, the, the minutiae about things and stuff, he goes into great detail, particularly if you're a fan of The Walking Dead, Da Vinci's Demons, uh, Battlestar Galactica, or even Black Sails. He has genuinely very good blog posts where he talks about exactly what he's doing musically in each of those shows da vinci's demons in particular he, he pretty much went episode by episode explaining and in this episode i introduced this theme and he gives you the sheet music of and explains why he did it the way he did like he really gives you a like oh, all description of exactly what he's doing in every episode very kind of like an open-mindedness to be and freeing to kind of yeah. give that knowledge freely to anybody who's Just interested and, yeah yeah it's very you know, contemporary you, yeah, it's definitely contemporary because you always get a sense that like with some composers, they almost want to kind of hide and kind of keep that internal. Like, no, I don't yeah. want to tell you my secrets because I don't want you to kind of steal them or something. And well, it's just I think it's like- partly I don't want to steal them, but also I don't want to give away maybe how simple it is. Like you almost feel like people are going to see behind the curtain and realize that I'm not very good. There's a certain imposter mm. syndrome there oh, as well. Oh, the fact that it's all smoke and mirrors. Yeah. But, but, but. Uh, again, at the end of the day, it's knowledge, and I yeah. appreciate that. You know, from having heard now that he's so kind of non, not non-judgmental, I guess, just, and just open with it all. But I guess it's also it's not a bad thing if you do share your knowledge. The fact that at some point, at somewhere, you're going to influence somebody and exactly. make and make them a the next generation of composers that's not exactly a bad thing just because no. if you don't necessarily make it but the fact that you're able to influence somebody else and yeah like it's not like it, what's the word Con- congratulate yourself on yeah. that absolutely so let's talk about very quickly about what we're doing next month what are we doing ella so next month is the month of love again <laughs> <laughs> i love our specials they're, they're some of the most interesting episodes <laughs> Well, you know, so February is usually like the first two weeks is dedicated to Valentine's Day. So yep. we thought, uh, why not we dedicate our podcast to romantic films or at least films that are focused on relationships and love and mm. connections and all that. So so less um, about monsters. Then. <laughs> it's less about monsters. Exactly. <laughs> so we're going to be comparing um, Carol. Yeah. Um, which was com- music was composed by Carter Burrell, mm-hmm. so it was a 2015 film. Also, the- very big on my list of underrated composers. Don't yes. hear his name anywhere near as often as you think you would, given the films he's done. Love yeah. Carter, great, great composer. So, looking forward to discussing his work and this particular soundtrack versus Brokeback Mountain. Composed uh, yes. by who? Ah, uh, yes, and I, I have to say this because Ella is very nervous to say this guy's name, and I, I must I say, I can say his first name. A I can certain say... amount of uh, trepidation comes across my my eyes as well. But Gustavo Santaolalla, the I think Argentinian composer. Yeah, I think you did good there. I think I'm glad that you said uh, it instead I'll, of me. Uh, I will spend the next few weeks practicing. <laughs> <laughs> Go on YouTube. Yes, go on YouTube or maybe call up his agent or something and find out how, how we're meant to say his name. <laughs> but, but yeah, yes. so it'll be a quite an interesting sort of dynamic to be comparing these two films because both films are about... Homosexual um, relationships. Fo- like the LGBTs relationships, but also kind of, I guess, the sort of forbidden love mm. elements to them. There's that theme as well, yeah. Yeah, and the fact that they're also set in different times as well, which is, there's a lot of interesting things that are very different, but at the same time, there is a sort of central theme throughout. And so I thought it would be quite good to 
discuss it. So we look forward to talking about them next month. Next month. So, I'm really intrigued. I, I think that could be very interesting. So here's a little homework for you listeners. Um, if you want to kind of join in and in our discussion, um, just by listening to it, or like have a watch of those films so you're prepared. And then we will see you next month. And speaking about joining, what do you think about what we've been saying today? What do you think maybe we should review in future? Reach out to us at Tristellar Music on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And most of all, the biggest thing you can possibly do is either give us a review or failing that, next, next best thing to a review, is just share us with your friends. And I think actually the best way to do that is every month, Ella and I actually put up a post on our Facebook and Instagram accounts that advertises that month's show. So maybe just go and find out one from this month or if there was a particular episode a few weeks back that you really enjoyed, maybe find that one. And just share that on your page to say, hey guys, I've really been loving this show. And just, just get the word out there because it, it really makes such a difference to us to know that we're reaching more people. And who knows, maybe one day we might actually have enough that we can get some advertising and make some money out of this. That would be phenomenal for all of the work we, we put in for this. So thank you in advance for that and talk to you next month. Bye-bye. Ta-ta. Fixing on a jailbreak, but the door is open wide. Cooler. Stuck in Starlog, one, two, three, and there ain't no one to bribe. I got the studio blue. Captain to this close to insanity.